This is Acast Recommends. Every week we pick one of our favourite shows and this is one we think you're going to love. Who exploded Vivian Stone? Was it Screen Hunk McSalad? Mother's Digest called me dependably erotic. Leading Lady Joanna Shoebags. Oh, you call me dramatic again, I will die! First time director Wallace Byrne Matravers. I think I'll just keep my clothes on for now. Assistant director Laura Side Salad. If I can help you direct this film, I can certainly help direct your wing cut. Technician James Wigington. You've got a funny way of addressing a man holding a power drill. Or someone else entirely. Listen in to find out... Who exploded Vivian Stone? Acast is home to the biggest podcasts from the UK and around the world. Subscribe to this show and hundreds more now via Acast or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Slash Filmcast. I'm David Chen, and with me are... Devendra Hardware And Jeff Kanata. Welcome to the show. What we're going to do here today on this podcast is discuss some what we've been watching, and then we're going to move into a featured in-depth review of our movie of the week. This week, we'll be reviewing Widows, the new Steve McQueen movie, and we are uh, privileged to have Aisha Harris, staff editor at New York Times, to join us for that review. So really psyched about that. Um, but before we get to any of that, we got to mention that the the world of cinema, the world of entertainment, uh, has lost two giants over the course of the last week. Stan Lee, the creator of memorable characters, uh, co-creator of memorable characters such as X-Men and Spider-Man and Ant-Man and tons of other characters that have become so central to the Marvel Cinematic Universe passed away. And also William Goldman, one of the greatest screenwriters of all time. Man, uh, yeah. passed away. That's two maybe giants. Maybe the greatest. Lost. Yeah, <laughs> maybe but, the greatest. Yeah. Yeah. So I was I was talking with this uh, uh, with William Gold uh, about William Goldman on uh, my other podcast, right along with C. Robert Cargill, and we were talking about how like uh, this guy has three movies that are, are basically classics, right? Is uh, Princess Bride, President, All the President's Men, and uh, Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid. Right, mm-hmm. like I if, mean, if, I would add, I could, you could add like four more. That's right, that's right. But like, <laughs> but like, if you had an entire career and you made one of those, that yeah. would you you would consider yourself a wildly successful person, right? Like, or Marathon Man, or yeah. Misery, or yeah. Maverick. Uh, you yeah. know, there, there are even his like second tier is insane <laughs> yes it's amazing it's just like if you had one of those movies in your filmography you'd be like wow i've i've accomplished what i set out to do on this earth but this guy had hit after hit um classic after classic uh and not only that his books were really insightful as well um so just just an amazing screenwriter and uh i you know, i don't know if you guys have any favorite william gold william goldman jeff i think like butch cassidy is probably your uh, favorite one of his movies? Am I right about that? I mean, or? I have a hard time. I would have a hard time deciding between Butch Casting the Sundance Kid and The Princess Bride as as my favorite of his. But yeah. mm-hmm. uh, both of them shaped who I am as a person. I I vividly remember my father. Uh, there was a, a day when he used to recommend movies. He had a bunch of movies on VHS that he had just you know recorded off of HBO and stuff, and I mean a huge library of them. And he would recommend them to me. And there was a day when he's like, "You have to watch." 
The Sting and Butch Cassidy <laughs> and the Sundance Kid. And you have to watch those two movies. Those, you know, and I, that was when I was like, oh, Paul Newman is a god. I want to be him. <laughs> Uh, and, and both of them had in, left indelible marks on me. I mean, they're in, Butch casting the Sundance kid is an incredible rousing movie. And, uh, and, and the princess bride, you know, like everybody quotes it, everybody mm-hmm. knows it. It's, it's basically a perfect script, you know, it, it's, it's funny, it's charming, it's insightful, it's heartwarming. Uh, he's, he's a magician with words he's, he's, a huge talent. I mean, it's, it, you can't even, there aren't words to describe how much of an impact he has had on filmmaking because yeah. he was the Bible of, of filmmaking for a long time. Yeah. Uh, and Stan Lee as well, man. Like I, you know, Jeff, I know this one probably hit you pretty hard. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it, there's literally nothing you can say about Stan Lee that someone hasn't already said. Right. I mean, there's no way to even, for me, I just never thought he would die. Yeah, he just seemed like this ubiquitous force. Yeah, um, and I had the pleasure of being able to interview him and meet him. And the reason you think he's never going to die is because he he was ageless. He 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 looked like an old person, but he, he had the energy of someone not even not even someone young. He had the energy of of, of an inhuman person, uh, you know, a robot that just kept going and going. He was. He had uh, an incredible personality and it was larger than life, even in person. And of course, you know, yes, was is responsible for basically my imagination as a child. You know, it's <laughs> it's um, the, I, the other thing I want to say about Stanley. Sorry. Sorry to yeah, no, ramble. Cool. But um, is in a time when it, it, it didn't behoove him to be so, he was a very progressive voice. Uh, and, and he was a very progressive voice to young people. Uh, he, you know, he said things that were very politically relevant and he took a stand and he instilled in an entire generation or actually multiple generations, uh, a sense of civic duty, of uh, morality, of honor that, uh, is, is, remarkable and notable and laudable there are definitely things in his personal life that and and ways he's treated his employees that don't make him a perfect person but i think his mark clearly will will leave a positive footprint uh in history and and on the lives of a lot of people like myself yeah i mean a lot of the characters right in these movies that are now the biggest movies in the world are characters that fundamentally are trying to do good, right? You, yeah. yeah, you could say this entire universe too that he helped create is is now taking over the world again. Yeah, kind of amazing that he was able to see that. It's it's great that like uh, that people have had a chance to kind of get to know him through those appearances, right, in the movies. Mm-hmm. And I mm-hmm. always like I personally always found them to be a delight, just because it's it's first of all I, I they're very unexpected usually. Like I usually can't mm-hmm. see it coming like I, I i don't know when it's gonna happen and then when he pops up in the movie it's like hey here's a guy who in some way was responsible for what we're seeing and uh and they usually try to make it a clever you know reference or a clever insertion that he's in in the movie and um i just thought it was it, it's always very lighthearted and, and very delightful to see him and uh i i believe he has shot some more of those cameos like if i'm uh, I, I don't know if I'm speaking out of turn. I think his like Avengers uh, cameo has already been shot. Um, 
So I don't think we've seen the last of uh, Stanley cameos yet, but you know th- that is kind of a bummer that not only like this guy who helped create these worlds, but like I, I just loved seeing him pop up in those movies. You know, mm-hmm. I'm hoping that they do something to continue that with with simply like a picture of him or some nod to him in future movies that that is a little more respectful. And I don't necessarily want to see a CG Stan Lee. I'm saying, you know, there's some thing to carry on that tradition and not, and not let it die. But it, even if there wasn't a, um, a cameo for the next Avengers movie, which I think there is, but even if there wasn't the last one that I saw in an unexpected place, I think is the best one of all and would be the most poignant, beautiful send off of those. And that is the, <laughs> the cameo he has in Spider-Man, the PlayStation four game. Mm-hmm. And it, it brought a tear to my eye when it happens. It's beautiful. It's heartfelt in a way. His cameos rarely are in the movies In the movies. They're usually just a quick gag and, and you know, and, and they're to, to make a fun laugh. And in the video game, it, it is beautiful. I don't want to ruin it for anybody, but it is, it, it really brought me to tears. Uh, and, uh, and I think that, you know, that worked out, as far as I'm concerned, uh, pretty well. Indeed. Well, it's, uh, it's been kind of a bummer to, to see these two amazing titans uh, leave us. But uh, we are so grateful for all their contributions to the world of entertainment, to the world of cinema, world of comic books. Uh, and, yeah, I think that's what we have to say. Uh, but the show must go on. Let's move on to what we've been watching this week. So it's that time of year, gentlemen, where we're getting to the end of the year and it's time to just cram in all those movies that may or may not be nominated for an Oscar, right? <laughs> um, so I have watched several movies this week, uh, starting with The Front Runner, directed by Jason Reitman. You guys heard about this movie? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I've been- Interested to see it. Read the plot summary here uh, on on Google. Gary Hart, former senator of Colorado, becomes the frontrunner for the Democratic presidential nomination in 1987. Hart's intelligent charisma and idealism make him popular with young voters, leaving him with a seemingly clear path to the White House. All that comes crashing down when allegations of an extramarital affair surface in the media, forcing the candidate to address a scandal that threatens to derail his campaign and personal life. So this frontrunner has 58% on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, it's doing okay. I, I think, I mean, Jason Reitman, in my opinion, does not get the credit he deserves, right? I mean, he's, he's consistently made bold choices. Sometimes they work. Sometimes they don't work. But we've seen two movies from him this year, I think. Tully came out mm-hmm. earlier this year, right? Tully was, And yeah. I think those mo- both the frontrunner and Tully had fantastic direction. Really mm-hmm. great usage of framing, really great usage of kind of uh, – Jason Reitman does this, this thing where he uses a lot of shallow depth of field and there's usually like something going on in the foreground and something in the background and there's like an interplay between the two of them uh, that I find to be very fascinating. The music supervision on his movies is constantly uh, superb. Like he's usually choosing uh, great – songs that are that are really evocative rob simonson does the score for this movie and i i thought it was uh pretty solid but uh i don't know man i i thought this movie was only okay you know and, yeah, and what i mean yeah. by that is that like i kept looking to see if this movie had anything else to say other than hey guys remember a time when a, a presidential candidate having an affair was enough to derail his presidency 
Like, I was curious. The media that's at fault here. Yeah, well, that's that's the thing. Seems like does the movie have anything more to say than that? And it does. It does. It has a completely different message. And that message is the media used to be better. That's that's kind of like what the message is that like when things were simpler. This is this is like could get away with anything, right? This movie depicts a turning point of like when the media started, like one of the first times when the media started covering this salacious stuff, like Gary Hart's affairs and. You know, and, and it's kind of like wanting you to like remember remember this time. Like remember, there was a time in American history when, uh, when we didn't give all this airtime to all this you know tabloid garbage. And I, I think my reaction to that is twofold. Number one, I, I feel like our politics has bigger problems right now than the press's uh, coverage of it. Oh, the press is a huge issue, um, but but I think like our, our politics has like yeah way way larger challenges than that. At the moment, uh, some of which are fed by the press. But then the second thing is that, like, this is only one of a series of, like, a million things that occurred, right? Like, I'm listening to this podcast, Slow Burn, about the Monica Lewinsky, uh, uh, Bill Clinton scandal, right? That, like, you could argue, like, that was a huge turning point, you know? And that that there's been many, many turning points. And so, to me, uh, this movie didn't quite have enough to say about that moment in time for me to make it feel like it's something I'd really want to recommend to people. But I do think it has great performances specifically by Hugh Jackman as Gary mm-hmm. Hart and Vera Farmiga as his, uh, his wife. Yeah. Um, and, you know, great direction, great music, music supervision. You know, it, it's a movie that I thought was pretty good, but it wasn't a movie that I thought was amazing or that I think should win an Oscar or that I think mm-hmm. has that much to say. It's, it's a solid political drama. Uh, I do want to challenge what you were saying earlier, though, Dave. Like Jason Reitman has had a ton of praise. Like he he <laughs> he has been lauded for a lot of his movies. He's he's come through a slump, I think, because after Young Adult, which I, I'd argue, yeah, people didn't love that movie as much as they should have. Uh, but then he did Labor Day, which which is not good, and Men, Women, and Children, which is I don't know if you've seen that movie. That movie's really weird, and it's a really weird slog about how like how technology is ruining modern life or something like. Yeah, I've heard, it's pretty, trying... I've heard it's pretty bad. I, I, I guess yeah. uh, I'm just talking about box office wise. You know, Juno I think sure. made over a hundred million dollars, and he has not he has not had a box office hit since Up in the Air. Uh, right, and right. I'm kind of bummed that uh, it, it, you're right. He does get a lot of critical acclaim. I just wish he like more make people make those sorts of movies. I think that typically would end up in you know a box office hit that's the thing even up in the air made 83 million dollars domestic though you know what i mean so like but that that was like a different time tully uh total gross nine million dollars right like that's yeah yeah that's rough which is too bad because tully like tully might make my top 10 movies of the year yeah me too it's very good yeah so i i just wish the american people rewarded his work more and and i love that he he makes you know bold choices and even though they don't always work i admire the guy I want him to keep making movies. I hope people keep giving him money to make movies. So, um, so that's uh, the front. Runner. You don't think it, it, it this movie even deserves an Oscar for Hugh Jackman's hair? <laughs> it is very luscious, uh, <laughs> but no, I don't. I, yeah, I mean, I guess maybe an Oscar for uh, makeup or, or whatever the whatever category the hair S- falls a special into. recognition of yeah. Hugh Jackman's hair. Yeah, I'm, I'm down for that. Speaking of movies based on a, a real life situation, though, uh, I also want to give a shout out to Can You Ever Forgive Me? Uh, this is a movie starring Melissa McCarthy, uh, and it's directed by Marielle Heller, 
I'm going to read the plot summary. Uh, celebrity biographer Lee Israel makes her living profiling the likes of Catherine Hepburn, Estee Lauder, and journalist Dorothy Kilgallen. When Lee is no longer able to get published because she's fallen out of step with current tastes, she turns her art form to deception, abetted by her loyal friend Jack. Uh, so I really like this movie. This movie is out, uh, like um, like The Front Runner. Can You Ever Forgive Me is out in limited release right now. And it's kind of like Catch Me If You Can for the literary collectibles set of people, right? It's like the literary version of Catch Me If You Can where this woman is forging letters from famous people and uh, making money off doing that. I thought Melissa McCarthy is unrecognizable, transforming into the role of Lee Israel. And really the movie makes it about Lee Israel's kind of how she is affected by uh, the crimes that she does and, and her transformation from a person who is basically a raging asshole into someone who is slightly less of a raging asshole. And uh, I thought the, the, the performances are great, right? You got Melissa McCarthy playing a character that, you know, it, like she doesn't usually play this character. It's, it's kind of a, a transformation. And then Richard E. Grant is absolutely delightful as the role of Jack Hawk. Um, and so love both of these characters, love the way their relationship develops. Uh, I think this movie is great. And this is a movie, I think, you know, if it got nominated for Oscars, I would feel like that's very well-deserved, particularly for Melissa McCarthy. So that's Can You Ever Forgive Me? Out in limited release right now. Highly recommended. Highly recommended. So that's what I've been watching this week. Can't compete in the Hugh Jackman's hair category, though. <laughs> that's true. Although Melissa McCarthy's hair she has in some this hair. movie, yeah. it's, it's pretty insane, Her what's hmm. going on with her hair in this movie. It's crazy. Um, so anyway, that's, uh, again, the front runner in Can You Ever Forgive Me? Out in limited release right now. Um, both solid. Can You Ever Forgive Me? I think is, is a, li- a little bit better. Um, front runner, not bad, uh, but not great. Divin your heart or what have you been watching this week? Oh, I just wanted to quickly mention Get Shorty, the TV show, which uh, I'm not sure anybody has been watching because it's an epics show. And <laughs> that's tough, right? I have a hard enough time uh, telling people to watch shows on stars. Yeah, because they're C- CBS All Access. You know? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. That's... It's, it's tough. Epics? Nobody has epics. What? <laughs> um, but yeah, the first season of the show is on Netflix right now. It stars Chris O'Dowd, who I love from the IT crowd. And he's you know been in a bunch of films since, uh, what, Bridesmaids, right? Uh, Chris O'Dowd as a low-level mobster uh, in Arizona who it, it kind of follows the basic plot of the Elmore Leonard book in the previous movie of a mobster going to Hollywood and kind of stumbling his way into producing a movie. And the producer is played by Ray Romano. And it's Ray Romano with like as a down and out producer. So he has like, yeah, his office is shitty. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't dress well, He has, but he has the spiky hair like he used to be cool. So it's just like these actors I really enjoy playing these really strange roles for them uh, kind of just makes a show for me. Um, it's a. Uh, it's created by Davy Holmes, who used to be a writer and producer on Shameless and a bunch of recent TV shows. And it kind of follows the mold of like, I don't know, the post Breaking Bad mobster shows we've seen. Um, it's kind of similar to Breaking Bad in that way. Like it is set in the Southwest, uh, but hops to L.A. quite a bit. But I think, uh, you know, it's doing some interesting things. Uh, Chris O'Dowd is playing an ex- uh, a gangster with like an existential crisis and he's trying to win his daughter back and his ex-wife back. Uh, and he thinks making movies the way to do it. Um, I just really like the writing and the characters and these actors. Uh, yeah, it, it's just, uh, it, it's a lot of fun. Topher Grace shows up as like a, uh, a shitty movie star, I guess doing the thing he's tended to do in a bunch of other movies. Um, yeah, like you play the same character in oceans. 
uh, in the, the oceans, oceans films, right? Yeah, the same thing, basically. Yeah. But it's just, it's really funny. Uh, I, it's like a light, enjoyable show. Um, we've seen so many of these, right? Like Ozark is one of them. Uh, I'm not Ozark a is a light, enjoyable show. <laughs> what do you know? Uh, Post Breaking Bad crime oh, show. Yeah, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, and I'm just saying. We've seen a bunch of those. I like this one quite a bit. And I don't like Ozark because I felt like that was trying to angle too much into what Breaking Bad was doing. Whereas this is like, this almost feels like a throwback to like some of the 90s gangster movies. Uh, and these actors are so great. It's just fun to see them playing these roles and kind of bouncing off of each other. So I'd highly recommend if you just want some like a nice, light, joyful crime show to jump through on Netflix. All right. That's Get Shorty. It's on Netflix and it's also on Epics, which you'll never, is a show. You'll never see- Epics. Which A is a channel that exists, and B yeah. is a channel you may or may not have uh, already subscribed to. <laughs> how would a person even know? Not. How yeah. would you even know? You know there's, no, there's no way to determine that, whether yeah. you have it or not. Yep. Jeff Kanata, you've been watching stuff? Uh, yeah. Speaking of 90s throwbacks, uh, I'm going to date myself here, but when I was in college, there was no one funnier than Adam Sandler. Uh, I, I know to a modern ear that that sounds weird, but uh, I remember when he was the funniest guy on the planet. When all everybody I know quoted his movies, Billy Madison and uh, Happy Gilmore were the funniest things ever. And his comedy album, you know, I still say "fuck me in the goat ass" when I'm when I'm upset about something. Um, <laughs> it, it, you know, he has become sort of a parody of himself in in recent years. So it was. Uh, it was with some trepidation that I approached his new stand-up special on Netflix. Um, I was told it was good. And so I went, I'll give this a shot. I was really impressed. Uh, it's called 100% Fresh. Adam Sandler, 100% Fresh. It's on Netflix now. I don't know if it's part of his mega contract that he did with with Netflix where he was kind of pooping out pretty mediocre movies. Yeah, he just had to get it out, basically, all these things. But this feels like a labor of love. Uh, this came from the heart that I feel like if we had to uh, allow him to get paid for a bunch of kind of crappy movies in order to get this, it was all worth it for Netflix to make this deal because um, it's an extraordinary standup special. Uh, it, it, it intercuts frequently between many, many, many different performances. Uh, mm. Most standup specials aren't just a single performance. They are cut between several, but oftentimes they're trying to mask that and show you the best takes of the same jokes over multiple nights. Right. This takes the opposite approach and really highlights how he would do the same act and built it up from a small, tiny club into a mega uh, you know, kind of state, not stadium, but a, like a big, um, arena? theater venue. Yeah. yeah. Not arena either. It's, it's like a big theater, you yeah. know, like a big prestigious theater with balconies and stuff. Um, and they'll, sometimes it'll cut back and forth in the same joke between those th- and, and kind of showing how he'll mess it up in one of them or do it and then do it right in another, or how he worked it through and, and built it up. It, it's very charming in that way. Uh, it's very classic Adam Sandler. I mean, he does the thing he does, you know, and a, a lot of um, good, good Adam Sandler of... impression, Jeff. <laughs> no, it wasn't. Uh, we all and, perfected it in the nineties, right? Yeah. If you, if you saw if you saw my hand gestures, you would have gotten it. Yeah. Okay. Um, it doesn't work for an audio medium. Yeah. Um, I got you. <laughs> and it's a ton of music, a ton of music. I mean, again, when I was in college, everybody, you know, here we are, almost Thanksgiving. 
this episode's almost Thanksgiving and everybody would be singing turkey for me and the turkey for you. You know, these, he was very much a, uh, his songs were very much a part of, of who he was and what everybody loved about him. This show is wall to wall music. And a lot of the jokes are built inside of a song. They are a song that starts one way and has a turn at the end, uh, abrupt, quick songs, you know, 40 seconds of a song, uh, and the whole thing is done w- with musical accompaniment. There's a, a, a pianist on stage helping him. And it's really funny. It's really fun. It doesn't overstay its welcome. I, I really liked it. I, I laughed a lot. I found it clever and and uh, pretty light. And then the end comes around. And it ends with this one-two punch of absolute sort of heartfelt beauty that moved me uh, there is a, a tribute song at the end. I don't want to spoil for anyone that resonated with me. And I thought people – I had heard people say the, you know, the end is really powerful. And I thought, oh, that, that's it. But then he does one more song. And that last song is about growing old with him. And it's a song he sings to his wife. And it, he kind of makes it about like all the people who are there watching him. He knows, he acknowledges, you're only here watching me because you liked me back then. And we all grew old together. We're all growing old together. And it is so beautiful and so honest. And and it, it kind of hit me like a wallop. It was uh, – I'm just really impressed. I, I didn't think he had it in him anymore. And I would heartily recommend the special. I think it it delivers on all cylinders. All right. Uh, well, that is Adam Sandler, one hundred percent fresh, and you can find it on Netflix. And that brings us to our sponsor. Uh, if you're going to watch Netflix or any online streaming service, you're going to need reliable internet in your home, reliable Wi-Fi service. Let me tell you what I have installed in my house. I I just installed this. I installed this at my sister's house and my dad's house before I did it in my own because I knew they needed it. But I didn't realize how great it is for me. And it's called Eero. Eero is a distributed Wi-Fi network. If there are any spots in your house, and we all have them, where the Wi-Fi is spotty or unreliable, that is what Eero was built for single router models don't work <laughs> in the in the high bandwidth world. It's it's physics. The Wi-Fi waves don't go through walls well. Um, if you want to <laughs> put a light bulb in your living room to light your master bedroom, it doesn't work. It's the kind of the same thing. But what you need is a distributed system. This is this is what they have done in uh, big companies and in offices for years. You install an enterprise-grade Wi-Fi system in your home, super easy, super slick. It's like two steps and you're done. And then you have these modules that you literally just plug into any outlet in your house, anywhere you want, and it adds more coverage of your Wi-Fi network. It's incredible. Right now, if you have a Wi-Fi router, I'm sure you realize how frustrating it can be to manage it and optimize it. The Eero app lets you manage your network from the palm of your hand. Uh, So you'll know how many devices are connected at any given point, as well as the internet speed that you're getting on your service provider. And you can easily create and share a guest network. It's so simple. And since traditional routers don't push software updates to their customers, they're left vulnerable to cyber attacks. But Eero updates automatically so that you not only have the latest features, but 
You also have the latest security at all times. They have incredible customer support. I'm so happy with my Eero system. It's what I have in my house right now. It's what I'm talking to you on literally right now is my Eero system. Uh, my wife has a, has a little uh, office that she works from home and she was having very frustrating Wi-Fi coverage because it was on the edge of our house. No longer. I put a, a spot there. One of the modules just plugged it into the outlet. I have one in our living room. I have one in my office and it's modular. You can add as many as you want. It's great. Uh, this is now the the second generation product, the Gen 2 and the Beacons. Those are the, the additional modules. They're called Beacons. Get $100 off your Eero base unit and two Beacons package. Wow, $100. And a year of Eero Plus by visiting Eero.com slash Filmcast. And at checkout, enter Filmcast. That's E-E-R-O dot com slash Filmcast and Filmcast at checkout. And that Eero Plus is uh, is something you'll probably want. It, it is a huge benefit to your uh, Wi-Fi network. It protects you. Uh, it'll block malicious and unwanted content across your entire network. Get rid of ads and pop-ups across all your devices. It improves load times for ad-heavy sites, and it automatically tags sites that contain violent, illegal, or adult content, so you can choose what your kids can and cannot visit through the Eero app. It's great. So take advantage of that offer. Get $100 off Eero.com slash Filmcast and promo code Filmcast at checkout. Before we get to our review of Widows, we want to thank all the people who donated to the podcast this week. Uh, Specifically this week, we want to thank uh, subscriber Rob Brown for contributing at the rate of $2 per month. Uh, And of course, if you want to support us here on the Slash Filmcast you can always go to paypal.me slash filmcast. That's paypal.me slash the word filmcast and use uh, the donation link that way. You can also go to the slash film.com, use uh, the slash filmcast tab and the PayPal links on the side of the page. Uh, all the money you donate does go to help us defray the cost of putting on the show uh, and seeing movies. And uh, this week being Thanksgiving, just want to say thanks so much for all the people, uh, including Rob Brown and all the people who have donated throughout the course of this year, all the people who listen. All the people who just uh, recommend us to a friend who write a review for us, uh, we really appreciate it. Of course, uh, never donate if it in any way affects your livelihood. Um, but if you want to throw some cash our way, uh, that's great. If you can't, um, leave us a review. Uh, give us a few stars on the uh, on the iTunes or whatever podcast platform you use. Uh, it all goes to helping us out, and we are super grateful. So thank you so much. Let's get to our review of Widows. You have no idea, do you? Or did you choose not to know? Your husband stole $2 million from me. This is about my life. This is about my life. That was from the trailer for Widows, the newest film by director Steve McQueen. I'm going to read the plot summary from IMDb. Set in contemporary Chicago amid a time of turmoil, four women with nothing in common except a debt left behind by their dead husband's criminal activities take fate into their own hands. Uh, This is a Slice Filmcast, and we are so pleased today to be joined by the staff editor at the New York Times covering culture, Aisha Harris. Welcome back to the Slice Filmcast. Aisha, how are you doing today? Hi, I'm very well. Thanks for having me back. 
great to have you on again. Uh, we actually wanted to get you on earlier to talk about like BoJack Horseman season five, which is something that yeah. we were both a big fan of. But uh, glad the scheduling finally worked out to talk about Widows today. And uh, you can, of course, follow Aisha's work at the New York Times. You can also follow Aisha on Twitter. It's kind of hard to follow you on Twitter, though, because you've you got to type in your username, which is not at Aisha Harris. It's uh, something else, right? What's your, what's your Twitter username? It's, um, it's crafting my style, and I've had that since I joined Twitter, Twitter whenever that was, like maybe eight years ago. Mm. I sometimes wish I could change it, but essentially the story behind it is kind of nerdy. Um, it's inspired by this Fred Astaire quote that I love. And of course, now I can't remember the quote word for word, but essentially he's talking about how, like, if you make enough mistakes as you're like trying to get to the top, once you get to the top, um, they'll consider it your style. And so I thought of it as like, huh, I'm like working on my style and making mistakes along the way. And so that's kind of where it came from. Mm. What a, that's <laughs> that's awesome. awesome. Yeah. What a delightful that. quote. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. I, I did imagine, though, that a bunch of, like, angry quilters and yarners are trying to get that <laughs> that sweet crafting. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're really putting yourself in danger of being hacked by the quilting community. Uh, <laughs> I'm so worried. <laughs> uh, you should be. You should be. Um, all right. Well, we are here to talk about uh, Widow's new Steve McQueen movie. This is based off of a British primetime television crime drama that was broadcast in 1983 and 1985. It spanned two seasons uh, and I think uh, roughly 12 episodes. So uh, this movie kind of condenses the plot of that and, and obviously readapts it to a Chicago environment. But my question for you, Aisha, to get us started is uh, do you feel like this movie made the transition from TV to film well? I loved this movie. I haven't seen the original uh, Widows that it is based off of, so I can't compare it to the original. But I will say that I I think that as a piece of uh, movie making, as a, a a tackling of a genre, and as a um, just movie going experience, it's it pulls off everything to my satisfaction. Like at, towards the end, the crowd that I was with, I went to see it like in a on on Saturday actually with a with a lively crowd. And you know, once some stuff happens at the end, which you won't get into until later, like the crowd like burst out like clapping and and, and cheers. So I just think it's like kind of to me like the perfect uh, perfect movie going experience. Interesting. You know, this movie got a B on CinemaScore, which I thought was kind of uh, disappointing. That uh, that it, 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 I think I think you know it wasn't exactly what people expected. I saw this movie twice, and the second time I got out, and I actually coincidentally went at the same time as some other folks from work, and they were I met them in the lobby, and they were saying like it wasn't really what they expected. I think people expected a kind of genre action film, right? And I feel like it's much more sprawling and is is much more deep than that and certainly aspires to a little bit more than just a genre exercise. Uh, But, yeah, it it sounds like your audience definitely got what this movie was going for. Yeah? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And it was funny, too. Like, all the parts where I think you're supposed to laugh, like, people Mm -hmm. think. So, yeah, I think that that was – that to me was one of the most surprising things was how funny it is. I think also that, like – and just so so you know, like, I – observed a similar phenomenon in my theater where not just the laughing but there were you know i saw the movie twice so i knew when the holy shit moments were coming 
And it was kind of fun to see the audience. You know, there's gasps at times and there's, oh, you know, like people audibly <laughs> reacting at times. Um, so I, I really enjoyed the cinema experience as well for this movie. Devinder Hardware, let me go to you. What did you think of Steve McQueen's Widows? Yeah, this movie blew me away. Uh, I've been looking forward to it all year, uh, mainly because uh, I think the trailers for this thing marketed it perfectly. You know, it's basically selling it as sort of like a Michael Mann-esque, uh, you know, crime drama, uh, except with a cast, you know, primarily made up of women and with some big names, too. So, like, there's a lot going on here. And also Steve McQueen, like Steve McQueen, uh, Oscar-winning director, seemingly maybe taking a step down from, you know, higher fare and doing a crime movie. I thought that was really interesting, too. Um, so yeah, all these things combined just made me very excited for it. And yeah, I think just like Mission Possible Fallout, this is a movie that totally lived up to all of my heightened expectations for it. Um, as a crime drama, I love sprawling crime dramas. You know, I'm a huge Michael Mann fan. And this to me feels like in many ways, a spiritual successor to a movie like Heat. And a lot of people have tried to copy Heat. A lot of people have tried to do what that movie does, uh, which is essentially give you a heist movie. Uh, with the difference was that it actually cared about, you know, the people behind it and gave you backstories and delved into the inner lives of everybody involved. And this movie does that, but also, you know, actually pays attention to the women because they're the ones like in charge and leading this whole thing. And I think that's something you don't even really get from Michael Mann movies most of the time. Um, so it was really interesting to like, see that perspective in there. Um, it's not like, yeah, there isn't much action. I was probably a little bummed about that. But the little that is there is pretty fantastic. Uh, there are some set pieces I think are really well done aesthetically. It's gorgeous. And Steve McQueen, like we, he knows how to point a camera. You know, he knows how to tell a story visually. And there's so many instances in this movie where it's just so kinetic. You know, the camera's moving all around. There's one scene that we'll talk about in spoilers where the camera is just like sitting in play, uh, sitting in like one place and just slowly pans over the hood of a car and says so much while doing it. And, you know, it's kind of jaw-dropping. So, yeah, love this movie. Love the cast. Um, this is one of those rare movies where everybody, you, you know exactly what everybody wants. And that alone is so interesting. So even if the plot gets a little muddy at times, I I don't care. I don't care because I know what everyone's aiming for. And it's so interesting and fascinating to watch. My audience was also totally into it. Uh, I went to it at like a 4 p.m. screening on a Saturday. Um, so, like, you know. Not, not a primetime audience and also not a critic audience, but people were definitely clapping and like into the movie at all the high moments. So, yeah, I just loved having that experience, too. Feels like there's a lot we got to talk about in the spoiler section. So let's just uh, let's wrap up the non-spoiler section quickly. Jeff Kanata, overall thoughts on Widows? Well, Dave, I guess my thoughts could best be summed up in the form of a limerick. <laughs> Uh, Aisha, I, if, not, if you're not aware, uh, Dave Chen has mandated that uh, this show now contain limericks. That's not true. That's not true. I've not mandated he forced that. Forced it on all of us. I didn't and, do that, but okay. Uh, I'm the only one that has stepped up to the plate and uh, continued the tradition in his honor, <laughs> respecting Dave. So uh, <laughs> here is my limerick review of Widows. Uh, no spoilers. Um, what's the recipe for thrilling drama? <laughs> Mix ne- <laughs> wait for it. Mix neophyte stealing moolah with a generous amount of directorial clout. Add some spicy viola and voila. Whoa. Okay. okay. Uh, I Pretty mean, good, right? 
that that I don't know if it was good as much as it's like mind blowing what wow. you did what you did to the human the English language there. <laughs> like the the use of drama at the end of the first line of a limerick, Jeff. I don't know. I, mean, man. I could have said it the other way. I could have said it the other way, but I was setting you up. See? Yeah. yeah. Uh, man, that's <laughs> the, you know, like the Viola Voila thing. I was so proud of that. I feel like the refs have to weigh in on this one. Like, uh, yeah, this yeah, is just yeah. Aisha, would you? What, you know, you're a talented writer. What did you think of uh, the limerick? <laughs> you give it a pass or fail grade? That one. You know, I give the Viola and Voila a pass. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Thank I, you. At least I someone like here likes taste. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> Nicely done. Well, if you, if uh, anyway, you yeah, okay. uh, go ahead. As I've mentioned, I, I talked about this a few weeks ago. I also love this movie. Um, and it, it, everything you guys have said, I will, I will underscore. It is awesome to see a piece of genre storytelling handled with a level of craftsmanship and a cast that is just spectacular across the board. I mean, tiny, tiny parts. Robert Duvall has like, a tiny part in this movie. So every little role is filled with extremely notable actors and the performances across the board are awesome. The core female group is, uh, has awesome chemistry and it's just a, a kind of an unlikely trio slash foursome. Uh, it, it, I, I know you guys were kind of complaining that there wasn't enough action. This movie starts with one of the coolest action sequences. Oh yeah. That's like juxtaposed with a kiss that like, what the, just the, the brazenness to kick a movie off like that is, is just, I was hooked immediately. And I love Uh, that the first shot is a kiss, by the way, like a really lovely romantic kiss, like not what you expect at all. And then smash cut to action opening scene too. Yeah. It like smash cuts these, this violence with a uh, an act of love that is kind of aggressive and beautiful, but like it just throws you in the deep end right away in this movie. Uh, I loved all the characters. I loved the 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 labyrinthine storytelling of, of sort of building up this political intrigue that's happening as a layer in the background. You know, there there are things and that we'll get to in spoilers that I. Uh, you know, the, the plot holes perhaps or things, but the ride is so fun. The, the performances are so stellar. I, I just loved it. And the, the filmmaking is of such a high caliber that you feel like you're almost cheating, uh, ha- you know, having such visceral kind of genre thrills inside what it feels like this high caliber <laughs> filmmaking. It's, it's something you don't see very often. And Devendra, you mentioned that, that shot. I can't wait to talk about it. It's one that is striking, but there are, half a dozen incredible moments like that, yeah. that that aren't just because of what happens, but how it's expressed in the movie. And, um, and yeah, I just, I just really had a great time with this movie. I didn't expect to love it as much as I did. And I didn't, I didn't know what was coming. I just, it's, it was a wonderful roller coaster ride and a, and a great thriller. You know, you're, you're talking about the first scene, which has a kiss between Viola Davis's character and Liam Neeson's character. And uh, there was this viral clip going around about Viola, like Viola Davis giving an interview to, I believe, the BBC uh, talking about that kiss. And she said, quote, uh, about Liam Neeson's character, he's not my slave owner. I'm not a prostitute. It's not trying to make any social or political statements. We simply are a couple in love. And what struck me about that in the narrative is that I've never seen it before. And you're not going to see it this year. You're not going to see it next year. You're not going to see it the year after that. Most people who look at it, most critics will probably not even acknowledge that as anything novel. They'll say, okay, so what? It's not making a political statement. So if it's not making anything, then why isn't it done? End quote. Uh, and 
I think the you know that is it was a viral clip that that kind of spoke to the fact that uh, simply seeing Viola Davis in that role is novel and uh, is something that should be normalized. And I think this movie does a good job of of doing that, and and I salute it for that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I had the benefit of seeing this uh, with a. Uh, an interview at the end uh, with um, both Steve McQueen, Viola Davis, um, Michelle Rodriguez, and several other people. Um, And they specifically spoke about that moment and how Steve McQueen directed it very specifically. And he kept pushing them farther and farther with the kiss. And he wanted, he's, you know, he was very specific of what he wanted out of that kiss. He didn't just want a kiss. He kept asking them to open their mouths. And the one you see in the film Again, this isn't a spoiler. It's literally the beginning of the movie. But uh, the one you see. It's in the the trailer, too, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Is like this kind of aggressive, almost bite. Yeah. But it's very passionate. You know, it's very. Um, it like makes you feel of, uncomfortable to be watching it almost. Right? It's like pr- it's primal. It's it's yeah. like a, it's it's very intense. And I that is just a microcosm of this entire movie like that. He knew what he wanted from that moment and he directed it. And and cast it in a very specific way to elicit a very specific reaction, and I, that's kind of what I'm trying to get at when I keep saying over and over that like the the filmmaking itself heightens the material. The material is is kind of pulpy fun, but man, it 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 really is heightened by the deft hand at work behind the camera and the stellar performances in front of it. Yeah, uh, so I, I really quite enjoyed the film. I saw it twice, and uh, I'm a big fan of Steve McQueen's camera work. And uh, no, like if you had given this movie to other directors, like no one would have shot it like Steve McQueen. No one would have been as inventive with some of these shots as he was. And I really think what elevates this above a normal kind of heist genre movie is uh, Steve. Well, are Steve McQueen's camera work, but also Viola Davis's performance. Which is just, she is just really throwing herself into this role in a in a way that is super intense and compelling, uh, and the movie I feel like is trying to say a few things. You know, it's set in this backdrop of Chicago with the, this uh, very um, uh, challenging and uh, rough political environment, uh, and I, I think primarily the movie is about like how people try to extricate themselves from these like intractable situations they're stuck in. Mm -hmm. I don't know, you know, I kind of want to talk with you guys in spoilers about like what exactly the movie's trying to say along that front, but certainly as a backdrop for the heist, it's extremely effective. Yeah. Um, At a broad level, the entire movie is about power and who holds it and kind of how it's wielded against people. And I think that's endlessly fascinating. Like, yeah. And we're talking about this one kiss, right? I think, the movie's made up of all these small moments that say so much about all these characters. And I think that's a really impressive thing. I love it when an artist can paint broadly and still tell you, you know, tell you something uh, really interesting and significant about a character. I'm so impressed by all the performances in this film, you know, particularly per- performances where like it's the the actor is unrecognizable from a previous film. And specifically, I want to give a shout out to well Elizabeth De- Debicki, who... Uh, mm-hmm. I think is great in the role of Alice, but also Cynthia Erivo, who mm-hmm. uh, we yeah. just saw in Bad Times at the El Royale. What and a one-two punch from her! Completely yeah. unrecognizable like, in this movie. Yeah, uh, and like in, like within what two weeks or three weeks we watched those <laughs> movies, and she's like, first of all, like her first big major film was uh, El Royale. Then right after she's in this, and both of them are friggin' awesome performances. 
completely asking completely different things of her, right? She doesn't ever sing in this movie. <laughs> it's it's right. incredible. Yeah, she's like you, you see her um uh hitting a uh what do you call it? Uh one of those punching bags, right? Oh, I know. And it's just like I, I'm afraid of this person. You know? She is, <laughs> yeah, I I I envy her build. You yeah, know? yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. She does the Tom Cruise run, you know, at yeah. one point yeah. and not because she's Tom Cruise, but or, or trying to save the world, but because she's trying to like make money for her kids. Yeah. And I think like <laughs> things like that for this yeah. movie yeah. is like it's so incredible. Aisha, did you have a favorite kind of performance or character in the film? Oh, I mean, Cynthia was great. I I think honestly Elizabeth Debicki, I was like, I'm vaguely familiar with her. I think this is the first time I've like fully noticed her in mm-hmm. a role. And I just think there were so many layers to her character and the way that she interacted with Viola and um, the choices she has to make and 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 how she, how and why she makes them. And just like, there's a moment, I, I can't remember uh, oh, she was talking, she's going on a date. I don't think this is a spoiler. She's going on a date and with like this guy off of like a, a sort of a, not, I guess, sugar baby site or a site for women seeking, or like seeking those types of arrangements where the men will pay for everything. And he's like, oh, are you, are you Irish? Or was it Irish or Italian? I can't remember. He was like, are you Irish? And she's like, no, I'm Polish. And it, it like, it wasn't, hilarious but it's just a moment like the way it was delivered and kind of the 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 assumption which i think kind of might have been playing into like the chicago backdrop because mm-hmm. you know there's you know the irish the Polish, oh, i think it was like is she is she russian because you were a vodka oh, oh, yeah that's oh, right. right that's yeah. what, that's what it was sorry <laughs> no problem yeah. but yeah that's the same idea yeah yeah but like it was it was just i just loved everything about her performance mm-hmm. and she really stood out to me and also like brian tyree henry at this point can yes. do no wrong Oh like, yeah, am- oh, amazing! Yeah. Like completely, that's yeah. uh, Paperboy, right? Yeah, yeah. Paperboy. So <laughs> the the actor who plays Paperboy is in this movie, and the performance is like it was so good and so different than Paperboy. I I literally <laughs> doubted myself as to whether that was the same actor. Yeah, he's um, also in This Is Us. Like he has he has a ton of range. It's just we don't always see it. Uh, if if you don't watch all the things he's in, it's easy to miss like how talented Brian Tyree Henry is. Yeah. So all the performances are amazing. But uh, Daniel Kaluuya. Oh come yeah. On. So so come actually on. actually um, uh, Aisha, I think the last time you were on this podcast was to review Get Out. Oh yeah. I, I oh, saw yeah. this. I saw this tweet. Uh, that's like, you know, Daniel Kaluuya must have left the Armitage's house in Get Out and said, no one will ever fuck with me ever again. <laughs> I mean, he plays one of the most uh, threatening villains, like the most memorable villains. Basically, and it's great. It's amazing. Uh- I agree. It's it's amazing, but it's kind of not fair even to compare him to yeah. everybody else because he's clearly having the most fun. Of it. <laughs> it's like he got a, he got the most delicious cake served up to him on a platter, and he just gets to eat it on, on camera. It's, <laughs> he is it's an awesome role. Yeah, I mean, come he's on. very good. He's very good. The only so the only thing I didn't or you know there's a couple of things I didn't like about this movie. One of which I'll just say before spoilers, which is that I did feel, you know I brought up the fact that it's kind of based on a TV show. I did feel like. There were um, some hand wavy things about the plot, you know. There were, and what I mean by hand wavy is things that would be pretty complicated if you thought them through, and that the the movie just kind of hand waves away. Like, don't worry about that, you know. And I, it didn't really impact the experience of watching the movie, but like in the on the drive home, like thinking about it, it's kind of like, huh. I wonder how that yeah. did all work out, you know. And 
Um, and I think I think if this was a TV series, it would have had more time to breathe and kind of establish sure. some of those things. Yeah, sure, um, Most definitely. But as a two-hour and fifteen-minute piece of work, I think it is very effective, and uh, mm-hmm. and so I, I still quite enjoyed it. I just it, it's one of those situations where like the movie left me wanting more uh, of these characters and of the situation they found themselves in. So. Which is good. That, that's kind of where you want to be in a yeah, piece like this. Like, I think some people were complaining. I've seen reviews complaining that, you know, this movie has pacing problems. I didn't feel that at all. Like, I was I was there. I was with this movie all the way. If anything, I wanted more, yeah. you know. And, yeah, I did not uh, feel we, like I, – I, mm-hmm. I, I didn't feel like, oh, they could have cut out X and the movie would have been fine. Like, I didn't – I felt like they probably already cut out a, a bunch of yeah, stuff, yeah, yeah. you know. To, you to you can already good. feel that quite a bit. Um, yeah. Also, shout out to Gillian Flynn, like another knockout for her this year. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah she's awesome. So much talent here. Yeah. Speaking of people who cook up elaborate things. <laughs> yeah, speaking of serving things up on a platter, right, uh, which I said about five minutes ago. I don't know. Um, hey, our sponsor is Green Chef. Green Chef, uh, cook yourself. Get recipes sent to you with all the ingredients you need to cook yourself. Why Green Chef? Well, the meal plan variety that you have is second to none. Uh, Meal plans include paleo, vegan, vegetarian, keto, gluten-free, omnivore, and carnivore. A- anything you need. <laughs> it's, it's amazing. Uh, the reason I know about Green Chef, the reason it has been helpful in my life is because uh, my tiny baby, a six-month-old baby, has had reflux issues, which means my wife, who is breastfeeding her, had to go on a very strict diet, uh, which has been rough, you know, getting really delicious food. Uh, but she was able to go on the vegan plan and because you have so many options with green chef, we could still eat deliciously, cook it ourselves. We knew exactly what goes into it. Uh, green chef is a USDA certified organic company and, and it includes everything you need in the box to easily cook the delicious meals yourself. Uh, and you feel good about it because you know exactly what's going into it. I love the fact that I have gotten the skills in cooking for myself, cooking for my family uh, to to f- feel good. You know, it feels good to to prepare food. It feels good to sit down to a home cooked meal. You should have that stuff. Uh, and you know, dinner should be planned around your life, not the other way around. You don't have to worry about going to the store and getting all the ingredients or throwing away excess ingredients. It's awesome. Plus. For $50 off your first box of Green Chef, you can go to greenchef.us slash filmcast. That's greenchef.us slash filmcast for $50 off your first box. Give it a try. I think you'll dig it. All right. Let's get to spoilers for Widows starting right now. Now you're looking for the secret. Trying to see this coming. No. But you won't find it because, of course, you're not going to see this coming. You're not really looking. I have been puzzling over how it works. You don't really want to work it out. Who's in the box? I have been dying to tell you. I want to tell you my secret now. You want to be fooled. All right, let's talk about some of the things that happen in this movie. I mean, this movie has so many ideas in it, right? Let yeah. me let me throw out a few things in this movie that made an impression on me. One is the depiction of grief. I thought was um, pretty intense and in some ways complex, like... You know, you see her flashing back, uh, Viola Davis's character kind of flashing back to times when she and Liam Neeson were together. Um, mm-hmm. But the, the flashbacks seem like kind of a mix of 
both actual flashbacks and then like some kind of like ima- like just imagining that he's there. You know, there's that scene when she's standing in front of the door, uh, her door in her apartment, and she's like Liam Neeson comes up behind and she starts crying, and it's like, was that something that actually happened, or is she just imagining that? You know, there's that kind of stuff, and like how she deals with the grief, I think was uh, was pretty interesting. Uh, there is this idea of uh, police violence. It has one of the most kind of matter of fact. Uh, police shootings of an unarmed black person I've seen in a film. Mm -hmm. Um, And like, just, that's just kind of like the backdrop against which a lot of this is playing out. It's just Um, so matter of fact. It it is like, it's just, that's, it's just such a truth. (laughs) You know, it's like, it doesn't take time to even explain it. It just goes, yeah, that's what happens. That's what happened. Also Mm -hmm. like that moment, it's a quick moment, but when we see what happened there, it also explains so much about her character and why, maybe she wouldn't think twice about going down this path that she is because, you know, yeah, the cops have failed her. The systems that are supposed to protect her have failed her. So, you know, if if you have to go do something crazy like this, it's perhaps not as crazy for her, you know? Can I, can I push, push back against that a little bit? That was, I think the one part of this movie that I left feeling a little bit uneasy about just mm-hmm. because it did sort of come out of nowhere and it felt, especially when we have so much of it happening in real life and, and we have all these different movies and TV shows that are now trying to grapple with this in different ways, some better than others. I just felt like the matter of fact part, yes, it's like a part of life, but then at the same time, I didn't necessarily think it, she needed that kind of motivation. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so as a viewer, and as a black person, like having that kind of just come out of nowhere and not expecting it was just kind of, it took me out for a second. And it, right. I, I felt like it didn't fully, it, it, it felt like it was trying to justify like a lot of her, right, anger, right. her anger in a way that it didn't necessarily need to do that. So that was like my one like qualm with this movie was that that sort of plot line and even just I, I think the biggest thing was like actually seeing it happen i was like oh no i don't want to see this happen like right like yeah. when you when you put that in a movie and you depict it as graphically as the film does I, I think it's fair to say like the film needs to justify it right it needs to like earn putting something that upsetting into the movie and and in your opinion it doesn't quite earn it am i characterizing your your point of view correctly aisha yeah no i i, I definitely think so and i think also the way in which it happens and that it's kind of liam neeson's character's fault in a yeah. way mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> yeah and and then they, they like they don't interrogate that at all like right. because he's calling his son and telling him to go back and get the stuff and like had he not like granted again it's chicago it's black guy riding riding in a nice car he might have gotten pulled over anyway but like the way it's uh set up is that it's like it's a clear line between his dad calling him his white dad calling him and then the cops killing him and it's like just just comes and goes Mm -hmm. yeah but i i think uh one thing you're saying i mean i agree with a lot of what you're saying but i think the the point you're making that resonates most with me is that like i don't know that the movie needed that like if, if that plot line never happened in the film uh, it would still make sense. All of our actions would still like make sense to a large degree, right? Right. right. So the question right. is like, why? Why is that in the movie? And and that, you know, I'm I'm bringing up these kind of themes to kind of try to figure out like, um, does the movie address these themes well? Another theme, you know, in addition to like this police violence that's there, is uh, like corruption in politics, right? And and how it seems to pervade. Like both parties are in some ways 
corrupt. And and not only that, I felt like the pastor character didn't come across super well either. Like even the parties that are like intermediating um, politics are in their own way kind of looking out for themselves, right? Right. Oh, absolutely. Um, everybody, everybody is dirty in this movie. Yeah, everyone's yeah. dirty, but also at the same time, like what was interesting is that also everybody kind of is trying to do the thing that they think is right which is kind of interesting too. like Brian Tyree Henry's character. You know, he's uh, he's a bad dude. He's, you know, he, he he's threatening uh, Viola Davis's character like as soon as he needs to. But and at the same dog. time, and, and the, the dog. dog. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, but he makes a good argument against Colin Farrow's character about like trying to take ownership of this neighborhood and trying to stop like, you know, having a rich white person be the person, be the face of this neighborhood. There, you know, even Colin Farrell's character, like, wants to be better than his super racist dad, even though he's super racist himself, but a little bit less, a little bit less. You know, he may not say the N word. He just believes the same things. Um, I just found that interesting. The only one person who's like a true force who just doesn't have a belief system seems like Daniel Kalia's character. Like he is, he's Anton Chigurh. He is just like, he believes in, you know, protecting his brother and protecting himself. And that's it. Yeah. Um, So, uh, I've I've just listed a few kind of themes or kind of mm-hmm. undercurrents of the film. So my question for you, Aisha, is like, am, did I miss anything? You know, are there any other like really significant elements of the film that that you thought are worth bringing to people's attention? And then like, wh- what is kind of your takeaway from this movie? Is it just a is it just a good time at the movie theater, or do you feel like the movie's trying to say something about uh, you know? politics or about power or about grief or about people's relationships uh i know that's a big question but uh (laughs) interested to hear your thoughts yeah i mean i think one of the themes i saw in this is or one of the most interesting things to me about this film is the way in which like Viola davis's character never fully turns into like this badass criminal like She's tr- and we're never actually entirely sure how much she knew. Mm. Um, like it, it seems towards the the middle and the end, it seems like fairly obvious. Like you can't be married to a guy like this and not like be completely in the dark, or like at least you're willing to be in the dark for whatever reasons right, to like right. protect yourself. Um, but there is like <laughs> the 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 way like you were saying earlier, the fact that the there's not a lot of action. Like even the heist scene is like the actual heist scene itself is very muted save for some you know very anxious moments um and i think that what it's saying like what i found interesting about it was the fact that like it could have been that movie where she like turns like full uh not uh I was, why do i always forget the name don corleone but not don corleone the son yeah <laughs> um, Vito. <laughs> Vito. yes yes just like completely turns and becomes like this like hardened criminal but really she's just like trying to protect herself from and her dog yeah. and her dog <laughs> and I, I love the fact that like all like when all the women get on board um it's it's not in the smooth transition this is mm-hmm. not there's i've seen a lot of comparisons to oceans eight um and that that is the one thing that I the, the similarities I found between those two movies is they both include a scene where the woman putting together the team says, you know, if we were men, like everyone expects men to do this stuff, but because we're not men, we can move more easily. We can make this happen. We just have to like conceal our voices. And I love, I, I will say, I love the scene, like that, that whole high scene where like their voices are, you know, distorted because of yeah. whatever they're wearing. Like, I just thought that was so... So effective. Um, so to answer oh, your question I, about... 
Oh, I'll sorry. just jump in on that on that one point because I, I I love that you brought that up. I almost forgot. Um, I think this movie has some of the best setups and payoffs uh, of of a movie in 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 the ways that I love it to be a setup and payoff where the setup is is its own thing and it doesn't feel like a setup. It's it's not like oh we we showed you the gun and there it is and now you have to remember that. It's more like it's like the the voice masking thing, right. it shows you the voice masking thing and it's its own moment that j- is justified to be there in its own moment. And then later it comes back and you're like, oh, they got it because she used the voice with the kid. And it, and I think the movie does that over and over and over again where it has these beautiful callbacks to things that didn't feel like setups but were setups. Right. Yeah, right. yeah. Especially with Cynthia Erivo and Erivo's character mm-hmm. because she shows up fairly early in a scene in the movie but like it's for one scene and you're like – okay, where is this going? And then she doesn't come back for another at least like 20 minutes. And then like we see her in the in the salon and we see, um, uh, I've always, I never know how to pronounce her name, but she's from Pariah, um, Adapero Oduye. So she plays like the salon worker who owns the salon. And we see her early on like arguing with this guy. And then later on, we see the same guy coming out of, um, Colin Farrell's characters yeah. mansion. So like it all ties back together in this way. That's just like very, the wire esque where it's like, yeah. <laughs> everything's going to, everything's going to come together and show up again later on. We're not going to signpost it, but it like, if you're paying attention, you'll notice it. And I, I really did love that. Yeah. So, uh, Aisha, before you were interrupted, you were, you were like winding up and you were about to say like, to answer your question, David, <laughs> oh. <laughs> you remember what you're going to say? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, 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 no. Um, I think what, like, you know, I'm still processing it. I literally just saw it two days ago. So like, there's so much to process, but I think that that kind of is my answer to your question about like, is this a frothy movie or is it more? I think that it is a lot more. Um, you know, we just spent however many minutes just talking about that opening scene with the kiss. And I think that, um, the way to me, in a way, it kind of reminds me of, of Get Out, um, and bear with me here. But I think that the, the what what it makes me realize is that, like, you can make these movie statements about race, about class, about um, just the way people interact with each other and, like, the cultural exchange and the social exchange and, and all these things and still make, like, this very entertaining, multi-layered movie. And I think by the end of it, you know, it's it's more than just like a female empowerment movie. Yes, like Viola is safe and and um, Michelle Rodriguez gets her shot back and and uh, every like everything seems to work out well for the most part. But at the same time, there's just all of these other things to chew on about about Chicago even and 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 I, I just think that it's it's a movie that I I said as as soon as I finished watching I was like oh I'm gonna see this again like yeah. I'm gonna watch this many more times and there's gonna be other things that I pick up on that I didn't pick up on the first time so yeah I think it has like super high rewatchability and not a lot of movies this year I think uh, you can say that I'd yeah. agree with that. And I, you were talking about Chicago and what it has to say about that. Devendra, earlier you alluded to uh, one of the most memorable shots in the film where Colin Farrell is leaving kind of a political rally of sorts. He gets in the car and the shot stays on the side of the car. And, when you, you know, the first time you're watching it, you're thinking like, what is happening? Like, why are we yeah, seeing the shot in this way? I can't see anything through the windshield or <laughs> but, anything, you know? Yeah, and then you realize, uh, you know, you realize th- that um, he's dr- the driver's, like, driving, you know, six blocks away, right? It's it's to depict the 
the radical juxtaposition of the rich and the poor in this neighborhood and yeah. um, how in one they drive, shot. So they slowly drive through, a, you know, a poor neighborhood. Yeah. And through the span of a single conversation, they enter, you know, the camera turns to the right. Yeah. And then big buildings, big brick, nice lawns. Right. Like it's just it was such a simple statement. But I think it says so much. Yeah. Yeah. And it's done in one continuous shot. Yes. I mean, it's it's yeah. literally a place in yeah. real Chicago right now where they could shoot that. And it makes that statement by just pointing the camera in a place mm-hmm. and moving from one spot to another. And the, the camera pivots at a very specific moment when they make a turn. And it is literally the demarcation line between the haves and the have nots. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I did cool. find it kind of interesting. Like we've talked about how little action there is, and uh, it's like the the heist lasts like five minutes. You yeah. know what I mean? It's like two hours of build up to this five minute heist, and of course, there's like a longer aftermath. Um, but uh, but I did find it kind of a bold decision to you know because you've seen these women be so badass in the prep part that I almost wanted the heist to be longer in some way, right? To be more intricate. Um, but I felt like you know it, it made the point that it was it was trying to make. I thought it was a neat uh, touch to have the scene where she's carrying the mo- like they practice carrying the money. <laughs> it reminded me of um, Chris McQuarrie had this uh, has talked about like Way of the Gun and like how Benicio del Toro uh, he he like carries money in that movie and he asked like he asked uh, Chris McQuarrie like how much does five million dollars weigh or how much does a million dollars weigh and Chris McQuarrie was like. I don't know. And he's like, well, I'm the one who's supposed to be carrying the money. So, like, I, I want to know how much it weighs. And then, like, and in, in discovering the answer to that question, it helped, like, shape the ending of that movie. Um, and so I thought it was interesting that, like, they actually went and thought through little details, like, uh, how much does the money weigh, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I have a question for you guys, though, yes. you, you men and women here. Um, I found myself wondering, there's a point at which... Viola Davis discovers that her husband, Liam Neeson, still alive and yep. totally screwed her over and cheated on her. And let, it let, me pause, the... let me pause there for a second. Did anyone like see that coming or were we, were we all kind of surprised? I, I, did not, I did not see that coming. Yeah. I, I half expected it, knowing mm. a movie like this. Like, no. you know, they're, they're going to have that one last thing. There's a brilliant thing that, that McQueen does in, in that he casts the entire male side of the, of the outlaws <laughs> – with all people who could be in a movie – like you could have a movie about right. the male side and right. and it would be a marketable box office movie with it that It's called cast. the A-Team, you know? Like, yeah. <laughs> right. But I mean it, it's like – so it's not – I would never think, oh, well, Liam Neeson can't be dead because it's Liam Neeson. No, because all of those guys <laughs> were of a caliber like – you know, I thought that's what he was sh- doing is they kill off all these A-list actors. Yeah. You know, and I, so I don't know. I, I think that was, I think, brilliant. But the, – The shock to me wasn't that Liam Neeson was alive because yeah, a movie like this, you would expect a twist like that maybe. But it was like how cold-blooded, how he just like turned against his whole crew like – you go into this movie thinking Liam Neeson is a good guy, and by the end, he is the worst guy. Yeah. Turned against the crew, turned against her, was going to kill yeah. her at the end. You know, that's going to kill her, going to yeah. run off with a new family. Yeah. Like, oh man, oh man. Every level, so, everything he could have done, he does badly. So, my question is there's a, a point at which she, she realizes that he is alive and mm-hmm. was cheating on her, and it raises the stakes for her. But 
I don't understand why at that moment, having realized that he has lied to her every step of the way, why she would trust anything in that journal to be real. Wait, do you think that she realized it when the dog was scratching at the door? Yeah, hundred percent. I think I, so. I kind of yeah. think that. Yeah, I think interesting. Because so. yeah. I wasn't, I wasn't entirely sure if she knew. Like, I think she figured. My my thought was that she figured out that it was his, you know, baby, and that or that it was Carrie. Like he, he was Coons cheating on her. He was cheating on her. He she yeah, at yeah. least figured that out, right? Right. right. Maybe right. there's some clothes there that the dog is reacting to, or something behind the door. It could have been that, but yeah. I mean, it could have also the, been his clothes, like because th- yeah. that's another thing that he sets up in the earlier scene when she goes back to where his stuff was. The dog sniffs and yeah. like sniffs his jacket. Right. So I thought, oh, maybe like you know, his 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 like clothes are still there or something. And the dog can somehow sniff it through the door. I don't know. <laughs> but yeah. I, I wasn't entirely sure if she knew then, or if she just like was just pissed off because she knew that that was like, he, she was the one he was cheating. I on think she with. like ran away before she confirmed to herself what she suspected. Right. I don't like think there's any way I, I, with all due respect. I, I think the fact that she sees the actual item there, like the the impression being that it never left his person, and so he would have to be there for it to be there. Yeah. Like he didn't gift it to her. True. He sees the you know he sees the uh, whatever the that flask. thing is. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and and so she knows that it's not something that would have been there without him physically being there. I think I think that's what we are supposed to take away from that scene. Well, I guess but, to respond to your question though, Jeff, I mean, you're, you're saying why wouldn't she think the notebook was a lie? Everything. Well, it's not. It's not that she would think it's a, a lie, but if, if he had lied to her throughout right. and clearly has no uh, care for her well-being, why would she? She was gifted that and told to do this and this and this. What I think in my, if I was in that situation, I would distrust every single thing associated with him from that point forward, like right. not do it right. Not go through with it at all, because <laughs> this all could be a trap slash bullshit, you know, yeah, which, it, which it ended up being in some ways. Right. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, that's a good point. I mean, I think there are a lot of little plot things like that. Like, so for instance, at the end of the film, you know, <laughs> does she give the $2 million to Jamal Manning? Right. Like what, what happens after yeah. the heist? Um, what happens to Daniel Kaluuya's character? Like, what is Jamal Manning's assessment of Daniel Kaluuya's character's death? Does yeah. th- does he like put together that like they right. were all like heisting together and and things got out of hand, or do th- does he think that Daniel Kaluuya just got in a car accident? Um, I it's do th- super funny too at the end when you hear the radio thing of like or the TV. I guess it is the thing of like everybody felt bad that his dad died, so he elected him. It's like well, the other dude's brother died. Yeah, I know, <laughs> but I think that's very intentional. Because I think yeah. that's like uh, right. that's how it would play out in real life, most likely. Right. You know, like right. it's that there, there it was no one w- like the media wouldn't uh, a- you know accurately reflect that dynamic. Uh, I think is is brought out. Um, also, Aisha, something occurred to me while we were talking about the Liam Neeson character, which is that like the death of their son kind of motivates Liam Neeson's final actions. Yeah. Um, yeah. Now, whether it them apart, whether that's like sufficient to show a death like that on screen, you know, I. Uh, I think the audience will have to decide, but I, I, do, I do think like the movie put in the, the movie made an effort to kind of justify it, if that makes sense. Um, I think you, the I idea that he that. would not would not have been a piece of shit, but for that is is hard to swallow. So, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. it's true. It's true, Jeff. Um, so, uh, okay. So let me talk about one other, one last thing as we as we wrap up here because we, um, we got to get going. Um, 
And that is the, the very last moment of the movie, right? And I know what that moment is going for, right? I've seen movies like The Three Burials of Melchiodas Estrada, which is like one of my favorite movies, where uh, these two characters who have been at odds through the entire film like, and, and have treated each other relatively poorly, you know, somewhat, sometimes well, but relatively poorly, like where they finally come to, term, come to peace, right? I think that what the movie is trying to say at the end there is she, Viola Davis's character has said, you know, if, if something goes wrong, you're on your own. Everyone's on their own. We're never going to see each other again. And then the fact that Viola Davis asks, you know, how is it going? You know, how are you doing? That's a sign that this whole ordeal has changed her and that it's like kind of, uh, it's kind of made her care about the you know Elizabeth Debicki character in some way uh, that is meant to be profound. That's why the movie ends on that note. Didn't really work for me. Didn't really yeah. like. I didn't. Yeah. I didn't I feel that moment in the way I should have. Like at the end of other movies where I've been like, oh wow, like I sense the profound change. And I think that's just because there's not enough runtime for you to really get a sense of how that relationship evolves. Like you see them yelling at each other a lot, but it's just like they have like you know four or five scenes together and then. You know the the heist and then that final sequence, the the kind of denouement there. But Aisha, what did you think of the ending? Did you did that work for you? That last shot with Viola Davis asking how she's doing? Yeah, I think it would have worked even better had she just not said anything. Had mm-hmm. they just acknowledged each other mm-hmm. by looking at each other? Because like they they have been through some shit together. Yeah. So like <laughs> even though even though they were adversary um, adversaries at times and and never really developed necessarily. I mean. I guess um, Debicki's character does at one point call her her friend, and Viola's like, you're not my friend, we're right. not friends, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> um, so clearly it was like a one-sided relationship there. Um, but I, uh, it, it it felt slightly hokey, but at the same time I'm like, eh, it's it's they've been through a lot of stuff together, and they, they wound up getting what they wanted and what they needed to stay alive. And so I give it a pass. Like, I don't think it fully works, but... Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it didn't. It didn't bother well, me too much. Well, I guess the simple thing is it kind of shows they're out of survival mode. Like we're not doing this to you know live and you know make a living. I guess, but that you know they're 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 living as they would normally. You know. Yeah, I mean, I think, well, clearly it's time has passed because uh, Debicki's character is yeah. uh, she, she's not doesn't have a sling on her arm. Like her, her bullet wound has healed already. So like theoretically, it's been weeks or something like that. She's got a very nice coat. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, it, friends. It, 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 the whole scene plays oddly, though, too, because there's that, that person that she's talking with, which the way it's shot feels like that person's significant, but we've never seen that person before in the movie. Right. And so there's an odd it's, – it's an odd – like is this exchange significant? And that seems weird. And then also we never saw her get her share of the money. So you kind of feel like, oh, is Viola Davis there to – Give finally give her her share because she had to go to the hospital instead of getting her share. Or right, you, you didn't know really what context up. the meeting was happening under. You, you right. know, like were they there randomly or were they? You know, like there's there's just not that much context for that scene. I agree with you, Jeff. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's kind of a weird ending, and I think the only the only reason I was a little let down by it is because I feel like I've seen versions of that ending uh, in different movies that are better than what we saw in this movie. Um, but uh, you know, it's it, like you said, Aisha. It's not. It wasn't like a bad ending. It just was like I, I didn't quite hit the note for me that I think it was trying to go for. Um, but anyway, uh, so I, th- I think we should wrap up. Uh, but Aisha, any closing thoughts on Widows? Should people see it? What do you think of it? 
go see it and give that dog an Oscar, please. <laughs> I, I, I do like that they took like a, a one minute scene or a 30 second scene in this movie that's two hours and 15 minutes long uh, to show that the dog, you know, was put away at that like uh, ba- dog babysitting, you know, thing. <laughs> it's like in case you were concerned about the dog. She has her priorities. Yeah, don't yeah, worry. Yeah. Don't worry. The dog's fine. The dog's fine. Yeah. She yeah. didn't know she was going to come back. So got to leave it in good hands. Well, Aisha Harris is a staff editor at the New York Times covering culture. Um, We'll ask where we can find more of her work very shortly. But in the meantime, if you want to listen to more episodes of this podcast, find them at SlashFilmCast.com. You can also email us at SlashFilmCast at gmail.com. Our theme song comes from AdamWarrock.com. And our spoiler bumper comes from filmmaker Kyle Hillinger. Stay tuned to hear what we'll be discussing next week or what we'll be doing next week. But uh, in the meantime, Aisha Harris, where can people find more of your work on the Internet? Uh, I am on Twitter, as you probably know now, at Crafting My Style, and also on the New York Times website and my old job at Slate uh, before I was at the New York Times. So that's where you can find me. Awesome. Jeff Kanata? Um, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Jeff Kanata, which is spelled with two N's and one T. And I do a video game show called DLC. And in fact, this week, Dave Chen stopped by to talk about Red Dead Redemption. We had a really, I think, excellent discussion about it uh, and you can hear that over at five by five dot tv slash dlc super grateful uh to jeff for having me on that podcast and had a lot of fun unburdening myself about that game uh devendra hardware where can you find more of your work on the internet oh you can find me on twitter at devendra i write about tech and gadget.com i'm also starting like a quick tech q a podcast at nomoretech.net so check that out that's k-n-o-w all right i'm looking forward to checking that out uh, and find all my stuff at davechen.net slash letters where you can subscribe to emails from me. I also have a new podcast with C. Robert Cargill called Write Along. You can find that at writealongpodcast.com. That's W-R-I-T-E, alongpodcast.com. Next week, there will be no normal episode of the Slash Filmcast, so we tricked Sweet you. Sweet tease, Dave. Sweet tease. Yeah, no, yeah, we Stay tricked you. Stay tuned to find out what we'll be doing, and it's nothing. It's nothing. It's nothing. <laughs> no, um, but, in all, but in all seriousness, uh, Jeff and I, I think we'll be doing a, a bonus episode about the Ballad of Buster Scruggs which is now on Netflix, the new Coen Brothers movie um, so that'll be a short episode uh, but you can look forward to that next week hope everyone has a great Thanksgiving uh, and we'll see you on next week's episode of The Slash Podcast the We watch the movies flicks, tracks for the good bad, it's The Slash Podcast For all the news and the movies coming out cause you know that it's the thing worth talking about With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply.